Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Have you ever felt cheated out of a deal when buying tickets from StubHub only to see that there's a $15 fee at the end of your original purchase? Or have you ever been on Vivid Seats and not even get your tickets? That, that actually happened to me once. I ordered a ticket from Vivid Seats and I never got the ticket. And that's why I switched over to TickBick.com where smart fans buy tickets online. No hidden fees. Search and buy now 100% authentic tickets. Best price guarantee, 24-7 customer service. Buy, bid on, and sell tickets with the confidence of their 110% guarantee. That's 110% guarantee. They show you the best deals with their algorithms and let you decide 0% buyer fees. If your ticket is $26, your, your purchase is $26. No joke. The most transparent consumer-friendly ticket marketplace on the web, authentic valid tickets backed by our 100% money-back guarantee. You'll love your ticketing experience from purchase through the final whistle or out and no hidden fees. Like I said, if it's $26, hell, if it's $8, it is an $8 purchase. Save an average of 10 to 15% on every purchase guaranteed only at TickPick.com. Get your tickets now. Today is August 26, 2019, and on today's episode of The O Show, we discuss the Yankees series win at Dodger Stadium over the two-time defending National League champion Los Angeles Dodgers, why this is the obvious favorite for the 2019 World Series in October, no question. James Paxton's excellent month of August, 5-0 this month, why the Yankees were screwed on Saturday in the ninth inning from tying up the ball game on Gio Urshela's fielder's choice, the Yankees breaking the home run record for the month of August, a tick pick giveaway for next weekend's matchup against the squad that just swept the Bombers at O.Co. Coliseum in Oakland, the Oakland Athletics, why Aaron Boone is correct in stating that there should be a mercy rule added to Major League Baseball, why Players Weekend is not even about the players with some examples from coaches including Terry Francona and Dave Roberts, if New York could be the home of three Major League clubs ever again, and more here on episode 80 of the O Show, presented by Belly Up Sports. Be bold, stand out, get all the latest sports news and content by going to bellyupsports.com to catch all the latest shows, including the O Show, the Corner Booth, 5050 Booking, 
Chairgating, and more. The O Show is also brought to you by TickPick, a ticket marketplace in New York City that gives no hidden fees. Get your tickets now. And by Bouger Music. Let's go. Take two of three on Vince Scully Avenue this weekend. All three games living up to their absolute potential. I'd say Dodger Stadium was nearly cut in half between Yankee fans and Dodger fans for the most part during this series. Uh, You heard the split, the best during the ninth inning on Saturday when Kenley Jansen loaded the bases and when Brett Gardner slid into Max Muncy on the ground ball by Gio Urshela, which was legal. I just want to say that for the record, completely legal. Brett slid directly into the bag. Max's leg just happened to be there. I don't really know what Dave Roberts' argument could have been there because Gordy didn't even attempt to slide out of the baseline there. The only argument that could have been made during that whole debacle was Glaber Torres breaking for home and the home plate umpire granting Kenley Jansen time when Glaber was already halfway down the baseline. And that was the tying run of the ball game right there. Muncy's rolling around on the grass while Torres is breaking for home and then The home plate umpire called time when he's about to touch home plate. Kenley Jansen, and I'm not arguing this, Kenley Jansen definitely asked for time before Glaber took off from third base, but it was actually granted until he was about halfway, which you could definitely argue, being it was the biggest factor of the entire game because that run doesn't score on that play, meaning the bases were then loaded with one out, and then Jansen gets out of trouble because all of a sudden Mike Talkman and Gary Sanchez can't hit fastballs, let alone Kenley Jansen straight as an arrow fastball. You know, the Yankees... You know what the Yankees could hit, though? High Jin Ryu's on Friday night. Three home runs, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, and Didi Gregorius. It was Aaron Judge's first home run of three in the series. It was Gary Sanchez's 100th career home run of his career, which makes him the fastest player ever to 100 home runs as a big league catcher. And it was Didi Gregorius' second grand slam of the season as well. Glaber Torres would go yard later on in the night. He has three home runs on the West Coast trip thus far. And just for good measure, Didi hit another one in the ninth inning. Yanks won on Friday night 10-2. to two. So let's talk about Friday. Gary Sanchez, like I just mentioned, second fastest player ever to 100 career home runs in Major League history. He's the fastest catcher of all time to reach 100 home runs. And he hit it on one knee. Like a G, wow. Adrian Beltre style. 100 home runs in just 355 games played. Gary is actually the fastest player in American League history to get to 100 home runs. The player who was fastest to 100 home runs was a part of the National League 
And that happened in 2007 with one Ryan Howard with the Phillies. I mentioned Gary was the fastest catcher ever to hit 100 home runs. Again, in just 355 games as a catcher, the fastest catcher to hit a home runs uh, previously did it in 422 games in his young career. And guess what? You can tell me who that iconic player was. You'll get $20 off your next order at TickPick.com. So that, I guess, will be our TickPick giveaway of the episode. So our TickPick giveaway question is, who was the quickest catcher to reach 100 home runs in Major League Baseball history before Gary Sanchez on Friday night? I repeat, who was the quickest catcher to reach 100 home runs in Major League Baseball history before Gary Sanchez on Friday night at Dodger Stadium. So Gary hits his 100th career home run. Didi hits two, including one grand slam in the fifth inning. That broke the game open. That gave the Yankees what was once a 2-1 lead, a 6-1 lead. Glaber continues to be the best-hitting second baseman in the American League with his 32nd home run of the season. James Paxton pitched a gem on Friday. I mean... It looks like the Yankees would have pulled it out anyways with the offense, but knowing that James Paxton was dominant throughout the entire month of August was very, very comforting as a Yankee fan because it's like every time he went out there, if during his hot stretch this month, even during his hot stretch this month, he was putting the Yankees down 2-0 in the first inning, like every single time. I think it was 15 of his 19 starts or 13 of his 16 starts, something like that, where he's given up at least one run in the first inning. So first inning bug all year round for James Paxton. But so far in August, I think he's got one more start in the month. He's got five wins, no losses, with a 2-4 ERA, 35 strikeouts. He threw six and two-thirds innings pitch and only gave up two runs and struck out 11 Dodgers at Dodgers Stadium on Friday night. That's exactly what you want to see as the season creeps closer to October. Because when Brian Cashman stood pat at the trade deadline, fans were appalled. I mean, furious. I think James Paxton, as well as Masahiro Tanaka, have taken it upon themselves to step up. I know Masahiro had a tough time in Oakland last week, but Paxton has pitched like the ace the Yankees expected him to be when they traded for him back in December when they made that trade for Justice Sheffield and the Mariners. Paxton looking like he's going to make his first start as an ex-Mariner at the former Safeco Field, T-Mobile Park in Seattle this week when the Yankees head to Seattle, Washington. And it's the type of pitching they're going to need if they want to contend with the Houston Astros in October with Verlander and Cole and Miley and Granke. So Paxton goes 5-0 in August. Gary hits number 100. Yanks win 10-2 on Friday. Let's talk about Saturday. Not too much to talk about offensively in this one. The fans got to witness CeCe Sabathia make his final start at Dodgers Stadium, pending any potential World Series matchup between the Yanks and the Dodgers, but this was for sure CeCe's final regular season start at Dodgers Stadium. You know, he once hit a 400-foot-plus nuke over the right field wall as a member of the Indians back in 2008. Three career long balls for Sabathia before he came over to the Bronx in 2009. Uh, CC would not pitch bad in this one, would get the loss, so CC gave up a two-run home run to Justin Turner in the third inning on Saturday. It'd be his only blemish, uh, though it was enough to give him the loss, like I said, even though it's questionable the the Yankees shouldn't have lost the game to begin with in that ninth inning due to the Muncie-Torres debacle, but I digress. 
Uh, CeCe ends up throwing just four innings in this one. Uh, only his second start since coming off the IL. Got roughed up against the Cleveland Indians last Sunday at the stadium. He gave up two runs in four innings at Chavez Ravine on Saturday. Aaron Judge hit his second home run of the series on Saturday. An absolute tape measure to dead center. I mean, all A.J. Pollock could really do was just stand there and admire what Aaron Judge just did to that baseball. I mean, the thing was gone as it soon, like as soon as it made contact with the bat. Um, however, it would be the only mistake, basically, that Tony Gonsolin would make all day long. He's like the fifth starter for the, Do- for the Dodgers this year, which is very surprising that he didn't get pummeled by this Yankee offense. It's been historically good all season long. But he only gives up one run in five innings of work. Joe Kelly and Pedro Baez with scoreless innings in relief in the seventh and eighth innings before the only cool inning of the entire day, basically the ninth inning with Kenley Jansen, comes in and immediately gets into trouble. I was actually watching the Yes Network broadcast, and Michael Kay said that Kenley Jansen blew a save his last time out and that he wasn't uh, used to doing that because he rarely does it. I feel like every time I turn on a Dodgers game, and it's often, I really do wa- enjoy watching the Dodgers. I consider them my NL team. Kenley Jansen is blowing a save like nine times out of ten, or at least making things interesting in the ninth inning. I think before Saturday's game, I've seen Kenley Jansen give up a home run in every game I've ever seen him pitch in. I was at Dodgers Stadium for Game 4 of the World Series last year when the Red Sox came back from down 4 nothing, and Steve Pierce hit a game-tying home run off Jansen. I don't personally think Jansen is as dominant as people give him credit for. Not to say he isn't dominant, but when it counts, I wouldn't really rely on the guy. Not to say I would rely on Chapman all the time either. But anyway, Jansen gets into trouble in this game. Runners on first and second, one out. When uh, Gio Urshela came to the plate and hit a grounder to Justin Third, uh, Justin Turner uh, at third base, who threw to second for the force out, and Brett Gardner slid directly into the bag, sliding directly into Max Muncy's leg, with Muncy's leg being directly in the baseline causing Brett Gardner to flatten Max Muncy, resulting in Glaber Torres, who moved to third on the play, trying to break for home with Muncy still on the ground and with the ball. But the home plate umpire called time as Glaber Torres was on his way to home plate. I, I really don't know how legal that is. I mean, seriously, if you look at the replay, Glaber has... He already was halfway down the line before the home plate umpire granted Kenley Jansen time. I know for a fact Jansen called for time before Glaber even took off, but wasn't granted until Glaber was already halfway home, which would have tied the game at two. That's the game tying run right there. That changes the entire complexion of the game. But instead, Torres has to go back to third, which then loaded the bases with one out. Brett Gardner was originally called out at second base before Boone called for a review, resulting in them overturning the call. Uh, if that play at home plate with Glaber was reviewable, it would have been an interesting call on the field because that one play is the difference between taking two of three from the Los Angeles Dodgers at Dodger Stadium and sweeping the Los Angeles Dodgers at Dodger Stadium on their home turf. So it was bases loaded one out after this whole shebang, and Kenley Jansen, of course, all of a sudden finds himself and makes quick work of Mike Talkman. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Three pitches, three strikes. Take a seat, Mike Talkman. And then striking out Gary Sanchez with two outs and the bases loaded with three fastballs, a pitch Gary has mastered in the first three years of his career. So that was very painful to watch, a very frustrating loss if you're a Yankee fan. So that one play with Glaber Torres breaking for home plate 
and then time being called is the only difference between a sweep and taking two or three from the Dodgers. I mean, I don't know what would have happened later in the game, but at least that gives the Yankees a new life in the game. So the Dodgers take game two, two to one. Great pitching from Gonsolin. Justin Turner's homer turns out to be the biggest offensive play of the game. Aaron Judge slugs one 450 feet to dead center. Let's talk about Sunday night with the future Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw on the mound for the white team. 2019 MLB wins leader Domingo Herman. Let me repeat that. The 2019 MLB wins leader at the moment, Domingo Herman on the mound for the Bombers. Potentially a World Series Game 1 pitching matchup. Herman showed up for the dance. Uh, this was probably and possibly a the biggest challenge and the biggest question mark going into this one. Was Domingo Herman going to be able to walk into Dodger Stadium at Chavez Ravine against the best team in the National League and against one of the best pitchers in baseball in Clayton Kershaw and compete? The answer was, oh, hell yeah. Domingo Herman, six innings of work, one run allowed, picked up his 17th win of the season. He walked into Dodger Stadium, beat the Los Angeles Dodgers, and better yet, beat Clayton Kershaw, who was almost as good despite giving up three solo home runs. So let's talk about those three solo home runs. The first coming three minutes into the game, DJ LeMahieu, La Machine, Taking Clayton Kershaw deep to left center to kick off the game. A hanging curveball from Kershaw. DJ made him pay. It was 1-0 right off the bat. May as well mention that Domingo Herman's very first pitch of the night went 450-plus feet off the bat of Jock Peterson, who was very ready for that first pitch fastball right down the middle that tied the game at 1. So each team started the night offensively with a solo homer each. But then in the third inning... Aaron Judge took one of those very famous Clayton Kershaw 12-6 curveballs and drove it deep into the right center field seats for his third home run in three days. Aaron hit one home run in each game of the three-game set, but this one was actually cooler than the rest. Why? Because hours prior to Sunday night's game, Aaron Judge was speaking to an older fan who turned out to be the father of the Yankees catching coach who was taking in batting practice from behind home plate before the game. And Aaron Judge, like the gentle giant that he is, went over to talk to the fan and was so confident in his hitting abilities, so confident in his play at the plate, that he told the Yankees catcher, the Yankees catching coach's father, I believe, um, I think his last name was Brown, I don't know off the top of my head, go check out my article at yanksgoyard.com for fansighted. He told him, I'll hit one for you tonight, meaning... He'll hit one at least 400 feet over the wall, which is not an easy thing to back up, per se. Not an easy thing to do. I mean, I'm sure players tell fans greeting them that all the time, but for the media to actually get this on camera and get it out there before Judge did anything at the plate that night against Kershaw, it was pretty remarkable. There's a lot of pressure there, because now you have millions of fans watching around the globe thinking, that's a lot of pressure. Not for number 99. It only took him three innings to do it, Clayton Kershaw hangs him, and the Savages bang him. It was Judge's 99th career home run, and a home run that he promised a lifelong Yankee fan that he'd hit, which makes it all the more cool. So that puts the Yanks up 2-1. to one. Uh, Didi, going back to the first inning, Didi Gregorius would leave this game after getting hit in the upper right back in the first by Kershaw. X-rays 
came back negative, but he was removed after two innings, which resulted in Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Rider legend Mike Ford getting a turn, and he'd take full advantage of it, launching a solo homer off Clayton Kershaw's first pitch fastball in the sixth inning, making it three to one Yankees. Clayton Kershaw, although great last night, seven innings pitched, three earned runs, nine Ks against the Bombers, gave up three solo home runs, who hit nine home runs. Yankees hit nine home runs in the series at Dodger Stadium en route to a series win. They tacked on a few more runs late. Chapman comes in, closes the door, gets the final three outs in convincing fashion, strikes out two, and the Yankees win the game 5-1. to one. A potential World Series preview in which the Yankees prove that they can win ball games at Dodger Stadium. Hopefully, when the postseason rolls around, things can change, but it feels good it feels like a good series win as the Yankees now head to Seattle basically to beat up on a bad Mariners team, hopefully. Let's talk about why MLB Players Weekend isn't really about the players and why some managers don't even like Players Weekend. But before all that, here's a quick word from our sponsor over at TickPick. Have you ever felt cheated out of a deal when buying tickets from StubHub only to see that there's a $15 fee at the end of your original purchase? Or have you ever been on Vivid Seats and not even get your tickets? That, that actually happened to me once. I ordered a ticket from Vivid Seats and I never got the ticket. And that's why I switched over to TickBick.com where smart fans buy tickets online. No hidden fees. Search and buy now 100% authentic tickets. Best price guarantee, 24-7 customer service. Buy, bid on, and sell tickets with the confidence of their 110% guarantee. That's 110% guarantee. They show you the best deals with their algorithms and let you decide 0% buyer fees. If your ticket is $26, your, your purchase is $26. The most transparent consumer-friendly ticket marketplace on the web, authentic valid tickets backed by our 100% money-back guarantee. You'll love your ticketing experience from purchase through the final whistle or out and no hidden fees. Like I said, if it's $26, hell, if it's $8, it is an $8 purchase. Save an average of 10 to 15% on every purchase guaranteed only at TickPick.com. Get your tickets now. So let's talk about Players Weekend and their horrible, not very good, not good at all, but very bad uniforms. It's been brought to a lot of people's attention within Major League Baseball that players and coaches aren't necessarily on board with Players Weekend, nor believe that it is even about the players to begin with. There have been a few managers and one player that I have an example of, I don't know if there's any more, that don't really care for the idea. And it even shows that Rob Manfred and the Major League Baseball Association don't even listen to some of the players' requests when it uh, goes into Players Weekend, when it goes into what they uh, wear and what they want to do. For instance, the Red Sox, despite Michael Chavis getting hurt so he didn't even get a chance to participate, but before he got hurt, the Sox were not going to let Michael Chavis, or not the Sox, MLB wasn't going to let Michael Chavis change his Players Weekend nickname uh, which is Ice Horse, which was bestowed upon him by Jared Carabas, Coley Mick, and Steve Peralta of Barstool Sports' Section 10 Red Sox podcast. Now, to Chavis's credit, to his credit, he chose the original name, which I believe was Chief back in spring training. So MLB makes players 
pick their players' weekend nicknames five months before they actually wear them, which is ridiculous considering that teams come up with nicknames for their teams and their teammates throughout the season. I mean, for example, why is DJ LeMahieu sporting a jersey that says Defundy on it and not La Machine? What does Defundy even mean? What the hell does Baj mean for Aaron Judge? Or beige. I don't even I don't even know where to start. It's not like you could even see the names on the back of the jerseys anyways. I mean, the jerseys all around the league were either white or black with white or gray lettering for the jerseys. White on white and then gray on black. So what's the point of even doing Players Weekend when all the home teams can't even see their nicknames in MOB? What the hell? Terry Francona actually said it best when the unis were unveiled a few days back, basically saying that he wasn't going to make any pitching changes during the three days that he had to wear the jersey because he didn't want to be seen in public. I mean, I think his direct quote, his direct quote, geez, his direct quote, 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 Terry Francona's direct quote from this, I have it here on Twitter. What's the slogan? Let the kids play. Let the grown-ups look like morons. It's basically what it was. That was Terry's exact quote, which says a lot when it comes to a two-time World Series winning and three-time pennant winning manager uh, has that to say about players' weekend uniforms. Dave Roberts, manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, even went out of his way to say that the Dodgers look like milkmen all weekend long with their uh, white uniforms and white brims and white hats and white helmets and whatnot, white socks, white sunglasses. It's not our finest moment, he said. This is a direct quote from him. It's not our finest moment wearing all these all-white milkman uniforms, but it is what it is. Roberts is right to go after the uniforms. It's ironic that on a weekend where Major League Baseball is supposed to be celebrating the individuality and personality of its players, they've chosen to dress those players in uniforms that completely strip them of both things. Uh, There's no color to these uniforms. There's no distinguishing features to them. And when watching games, it's hard to uh, differentiate between the two teams in one game and the two teams in another. They look ridiculous. And the nicknames on the back of the jerseys, like I just said, one of the major selling points of the event, the nicknames on the back of the jerseys are almost impossible to read on the home whites. And I believe at one point that the Yankees and the Dodgers both requested that they wear their normal white and gray jerseys for at least one game in this series, considering it was Yankees-Dodgers, one of the most historic rivalries in baseball. But Manfred turned uh, he turned them down. So, so much for players getting to choose what they wear on Players' Weekend. I mean, Jesus. Speaking of uh, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball, there's an idea floating around in Major League Baseball, in the baseball world, started by Aaron Boone last weekend, probably way before that even, about possibly considering the idea of a mercy rule in Major League Baseball, which I immediately would assume that Rob Manfred has already turned down, that he's already turned down the idea. Baseball has traditionally been competed at at least nine full innings of play for nearly two centuries. But it honestly, looking at it from a fan's point of view, and just to play devil's advocate here, it would add way more beneficiaries to the game as opposed to negative effects. I mean, for one, it would quicken the pace of play. 
specifically in a blowout game. I mean, fans get to go home early after five or six innings after seeing their team get their asses kicked 15-1, and it would also save many bullpens from being worn out, and it wouldn't make managers turn to position players on the mound who have no experience in throwing major league pitches to begin with. It's quite an easy fix. I know most diehard fans out there don't want to see the game change, but do you really want to sit through four more innings when it's 10-0 or 12-2 or 17-4, 19-5 in that Yankee game last weekend? Mike Ford just tossing bullets from the mound the other day. I mean, come on. It's, it's time to evolve, people. Bringing in a mercy rule is a splendid idea for Major League Baseball, if I don't say so myself. However, considering that... Major League Baseball doesn't even allow their players to pick their player uniforms for Players Weekend. I don't think we'll be seeing shortened MLB games anytime in the near future. So for that, Rob Manfred, fuck you. All right, and that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of The O Show. Remember to check out all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iTunes, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and wherever the hell you guys get your shows. Check us out. And the O Show is presented by Belly Up Sports. Be bold, stand out. It's kind of our motto. And by TickPick. You know what they're all about. Hit it, Hootie. Have you ever felt cheated out of a deal when buying tickets from StubHub only to see that there's a $15 fee at the end of your original purchase? Or have you ever been on Vivid Seats and not even get your tickets? That that actually happened to me once. I ordered a ticket from Vivid Seats and I never got the ticket. And that's why I switched over to TickBick.com where smart fans buy tickets online. No hidden fees. Search and buy now 100% authentic tickets. Best price guarantee, 24-7 customer service. Buy, bid on, and sell tickets with the confidence of their 110% guarantee. That's 110% guarantee. They show you the best deals with their algorithms and let you decide. 0% buyer fees. If your ticket is $26, your your purchase is $26. No joke. The most transparent consumer-friendly ticket marketplace on the web, authentic valid tickets backed by our 100% money-back guarantee. You'll love your ticketing experience from purchase through the final whistle or out and no hidden fees. Like I said, if it's $26, hell, if it's $8, it is an $8 purchase. Save an average of 10 to 15% on every purchase guaranteed only at TickPick.com. Get your tickets now. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.